to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with technology leaders and some of the most innovative minds in the industry to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they foresee for the future. No topic is off limits, so sit back, relax, and maybe take notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. We have been told that we're currently in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution. Technology is reshaping how we live and work, but we are only in the first wave of feeling the impact technology has had. In the next few years, many believe that technology will see even greater innovations, which will have a huge amount of influence on just about everything in our lives. Toby Eduardo Redshaw is one of the folks who believe that is true. And as the SVP of Enterprise Innovation and 5G Solutions at Verizon, he's had a front row seat to some of the exciting technological innovations that will soon be widespread. Toby believes that we are in the middle of a critical time of change, experimentation, innovation and advancement. On this two-part episode of Future of Tech, he takes us through some of the areas that he sees as ripe to make the biggest impact on our lives and work moving forward. In part two of this discussion, Toby explains how big tech companies need to come together to form partnerships, what it means to innovate with an impact, and the need for even more trust and transparency in the future. Enjoy. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. I'd like to pick your uh, your brain when it comes to the cloud. Definitely most of those new developed technologies are very related to the cloud revolutions we are all in and to the um, you know to the web scale giants bringing those as close as possible to all the organization and enterprises. How do you see this fits in and what future do you see or the next gen of clouds how do you see them evolve? That's a great question. I really do think um, you know, people think, well, cloud, it's big, it's, you know, it's been here for a while, it's sort of maturing. I think there's a next, uh, a next generation uh, uh, coming. And here's a couple, of, a couple of three reasons, right? If you look at enterprise data in America, uh, only 10% of the data is in the cloud today. Only 10%. So that feels like the beginning of something, right? Containerized compute platforms, right? Cloud, Kubernetes, or whatever you want, you, you want to think about, that stuff was only invented five, what, five and a half years ago? I remember being in a room the first time I heard about Docker and I went, well, that's kind of weird, right? I think it was five and a half years ago. That feels like the beginning of something. The levels of efficiency on how you manage the orchestration stack and the compute stack for cloud, that is still evolving, right? So this really feels like when I stand back from cloud and look at the patterns, it's the patterns of a baby, right? This baby is gonna grow and mature into something much more complicated. It's the early days of that. So, so I'm very excited. The other big thing that's changing with cloud is cloud is essentially becoming the fabric for compute uh, uh, topology, right? You're, you're gonna have, you're always gonna have 
some devices with a lot of compute in and you can mesh those out at the edge. I do think with 5G, you're gonna see some very skinny devices start to, uh, start to appear. We're in several uh, conversations with people that make machines and different things that, that are full of computers. Why wouldn't you just put that at the edge, lower the cost structure of your, your cleaning robot, increase the, the mean time to improve the mean time to failure, give it more features because now it's in a networked environment. So, but still, you have a lot of these things out on the edge. You have sensors and sensor nets. But then your real compute topology will be cloud at the edge, cloud at the CDN edge, uh, right? Especially because video becomes intelligence, and I'm really now going to start to use video to do synthetic IoT and to really trigger lots of different environmental uh, uh, processes and procedures. So the CDN points at the edge, uh, near the edge of the network, which are, are globally very, very close to most, uh, most common, uh, th those also become part of the compute topology. Then back behind that, you've got the data centers and the new Azure and wavelength things that you're starting to see move out into metro areas. So you're really gonna have a different compute topology and you're gonna start designing uh, platforms and administration layers to take advantage of that. Do I really need compute right at the edge or do I need it at the CDN layer or do I need it back in some data center in the middle of Nevada somewhere? And you will design and build to that and you'll put your workloads where, where, you, uh, where you need to. The other thing that's going to happen is the cost structure of that stuff will continue to shrink, which is gasoline on the fire of growth, right? When the cost structure of IoT, AI, and cloud continue to go down, things that weren't computerized and digitized in the past because it was marginally profitable becomes easy, right? I think, you know, we look back in 10 years and everything that could be connected will be connected. Yeah. So in that sense, do you see as a phenomena the web scalers becoming more of a utilities play or do you see them continuing to innovate in other fields? Uh, you've mentioned AI, you've mentioned uh, VR and others. Where, where do you see them or all around players as they are today? You know, I think when you look at the web scalers, they, they sort of have a schizophrenic uh, environment, right? They have this giant stream of web scale revenue, which is hugely important and a giant gravitational pull. But every one of them has some other innovative, clever thing uh, they're doing. And, and then when you, when you go and you look at the portfolios that, uh, that a Microsoft or an IBM has, those are extremely broad also, right? So I think you're seeing players move into each other's environments, right? We partner uh, with all of those folks. And I, and I think just a little point on that, right? We reorganized our entire company uh, seven quarters ago to make us structurally better at partnering and structurally better to engage with. We think in this future world as, uh, you know, lots of very large tech companies start to overlap with each other, we think that partnering might be one of the competitive skills that companies have to have, right? Uh, if you are a good agile partner, that will matter a lot in the future. And it's, 
it's an easy thing to say. It's really hard, really hard to do, right? You have to have a lot of humility and you have to be really great at listening and you have to put the other person's, uh, the other person's hat on. And most big companies are, are, are traditionally very bad at that, right? So going to this point of partnership, um, what, what role do you see for APIs in, in uh, establishing and uh, being able to cultivate this uh, ecosystem of uh, many, many partners? Yeah, so, so I think that's hugely important, right? I came to Verizon at the end of 2016, and my job was to help lead the tech strategy for the company as we moved from a connectivity company to a connectivity platforms and services company, right? We acquired all of the Yahoo assets, which the best thing about that for me was the fantastic AI capabilities they had, right? Because I thought two things were essential for us to be successful, AI and APIs. So first quarter of, uh, first, second quarter of 2017, after we had the board approved strategy, we launched teams to up our game on, uh, on APIs and up our game on AI, and we did that across the company. I think if you go back four or five years and you look at most companies and ask them what their API strategy was, they're like, what do you mean my API strategy, right? And we were beginning to hear from Google the API economy but having, you know, having grown up in customer automation where you're integrating customers around the world with FedEx, I knew how, uh, how important it was. So I, I think it's, you've got to be fantastic at the uh, API layer and then, then AI. So yeah, I, um, and again, that's an architectural design problem, right? You, you have to manage that at that layer or you're toast. So yeah, so I absolutely agree. That's hugely, hugely important. And underneath that, if you don't have people who are great at information architecture and your technology people don't know how important that is, you also fail, right? Because AI and APIs live and breathe on top of smart uh, information architectures. And again, still today, I talk to a lot of companies and I say, well, who's your chief information architect? And they're like, my what? Like what, a, a, a chief what architect? You know, it's like, um, like someone said a long time ago, right? The, the oil of the future is, is data. Do you want to be the company that is smartly architected that layer or the one that didn't? Which brings me to, you know, 5G and everything related to 5G. What, what's, what's the state you see 5G at present uh, worldwide? What's your uh, analysis about the adoption rate and how fast is it growing? It's still very early days, right? This is like any giant new technology shift. It's murky and unclear to a lot of people. I spend a lot of time demystifying, uh, demystifying that. I did an analyst call this morning on exactly that. But it is, so two things. It's going to grow really, really fast simply because the platforms that 5G enables, right? say cognitive video, AI at the edge, uh, the AR, VR stuff, volumetric capture, next-gen intelligent collaboration. Just those alone are going to have such a big impact over the next couple of three years to operational cost structures, operational quality, 
and customer engagement and, and service and competitiveness that you'll start to see winners and losers. And you know how technology works, right? It'll get to a buzz level where somebody on some board will read a, a business week or fortune or they'll report what their company's doing and say, hey, at my company, we're doing these great things. What are you guys doing? And that creates this big top-down uh, this big top-down uh, uh, flywheel. So I think it's going to come faster than, than, uh, than people think. But I think it's, it's, there's a, a big importance on this one, which, which I think gets neglected. So we brag a little bit about being first on 5G, right, and rolling it out. And, you know, we, we actually built our own spec with uh, great help from LG, Apple, Nokia, Ericsson, Samsung, Intel, uh, and Qualcomm. Back in 2016, we put 10, um, we lit up parts of 10 markets, not commercially, just to get the first 5G radios out there. We did that because we really didn't know how it was going to behave, right? I'm sitting in a room with the president of Bell Labs, the chief scientist from Intel, Matt Grob, the CTO genius at Qualcomm, and we're looking at the first data, Dr. Sorelius from Ericsson, we're looking at the first data and going, oh, look, that's what that does. I was not a network guy, right? I came out of FedEx and Amex and Aviva and Motorola. But for these network people to go, oh, that's what it does, that really uh, made something click in my head that this is so new and so different that it's a practical thing. It's like, um, it's going to sound a little silly, it's like rugby or cooking in a, in a restaurant kitchen, right? We've all seen rugby. We've all been in kitchens. But... And, and I could explain rugby to you in a PowerPoint or how to run a commercial kitchen. I used to run one. And then we could go through the PowerPoint until you're comfortable. But then I put you on the rugby field or heaven forbid, I put you in the kitchen of a, a really fancy restaurant on a busy Friday night. And it's a disaster. Now, now, why is that? While it might be conceptually simple and I can explain 5G and demystify it, it's dirt under the fingernails, get the muscle memory, get the bruises, get the scrapes, get the learning. It's a practical thing, right? It's Thomas Edison sort of innovation as opposed to philosophical, metaphysical innovation. You have to get your hands on it. So if you remember what I said a minute ago, that it's really ramping up over the next two or three years, the people that get on this first and actually have the practical knowledge the people that have been playing rugby on the field for two years and getting the learning and the bangs and the bruises or running the commercial kitchen, they're going to have much better experience than the ones that are sitting on the sideline going, all right, I'm watching that. When should I, uh, uh, when should I, I jump in? I think people forget that innovation means make new stuff. That's a practical effort, not a philosophical effort. I think Thomas Edison said, Innovation is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Yep. Hard work. Hard work, yeah. In that sense, do you see last week Apple launching the first 5G-capable iPhone as Apple trying to, you know, wet their toes into, into 5G or, or uh, something that will move the industry forward as Apple is so big and, and so powerful? So, so that's, that's Apple jumping into the deep end of the pool up to their neck, right? It's not toes. It's, it's, a, it's a big, iconic 
main product bet. And look, Apple, honestly, for the last decade, some clearly some of the best product people on earth building that. And of course, we all know the scale uh, of Apple and how much uh, that impacts the consumer. So yeah, it's a really big bet by them. It's a real commitment. Uh, it's the last piece of proof Earth needed to know that this is going to be a big deal, right? If there was anybody going, oh, I'm not sure about 5G, you're not going, yes. What people forget about Apple is their consumer products have this gravitational pull back into the enterprise, right? I remember getting beaten up by a board member uh, um, when I was a brand new CIO holding up an iPhone going, how come you IT monkeys can't make something like this? Can, do you want me to show you how to download an app, right? And so all of a sudden, business people had another level of expectation of what technology could do. I don't think that's ever gone away. I think Apple continually raises the grade, the consumerization of IT. I think that's a never-ending journey. I love that they do it. It makes, it makes everybody an enterprise, uh, uh, enterprise better. Uh, but again, you're going to see things happening. You know, we did a bunch of press uh, on this with the launch uh, with them. Things that you can do on a 5G phone, including some of the AR things, not possible on a 4G phone. Not that they're not as good or less better, not possible, right? And you're gonna see that ecosystem create all of these innovations. Remember, silly Pokemon Go, 50 million users in 19 days. As this stuff starts to flourish in the consumer world, um, you're going to see that impact all the way back through, uh, um, back through the enterprise. So yeah, that's huge, huge confirmation, right? From that, that, amazing, uh, that amazing company. And then it kind of uh, piggyback into um, or segues into uh, my so customer engagement. How will it be different in your eyes in the in the world of five G? So I think there's there's two or three things going on there, right? In the world of five G, where you're starting to get intelligence at the edge, right? In real time, the world the world happens in real time, right? Accidents and opportunities aren't things where you get a memo in the morning and says, hey, next Wednesday, here are the coming accidents and here are the opportunities. Opportunities just happen, right? Accidents just happen. So I need intelligence at the edge to happen in real time to manage commercial opportunities, to manage health and safety, to manage all of those, uh, uh, those sort of things. So customer engagements are gonna bifurcate into ones that are the seven Ps, and ones that aren't. And the ones that aren't are gonna be, I mean, our very early um, uh, strategy uh, document said, look, the biggest thing that's gonna happen in the world is there's gonna be a demand for intelligent. You're gonna need intelligent processes, you're gonna need intelligent products, you're gonna need intelligent service, for two reasons. Customers want that. They want to be recognized and managed that way. You, they want time saved, they want better uh, quality. Also because that is, the low cost solution, right? The defect free proactive one is the massive win of better service to the customer and lower cost structure, which is what all uh, business people dream of. So you're going to see that and that's in the entire chain of B2B to C uh, all, all the way through that, right? That intelligence layered in. I think you're going to see 
real-time demand shaping and offers start to erase some advertising uh, uh, spend. If I've got real-time inventory and I've got real-time intelligence with you and you've permissioned me in, I can give you offers that are good for me and, and good for you as opposed to putting up a billboard and saying, Avishai, please go buy one of these, right? Or doing demand generation. So I think that commerce model changes. I think you start to see digital snackable commerce added on to commerce, digital assets that go along with your product. And again, I get pushback on that one. Uh, no one will ever buy snackable digital products, even as an add-on to another product. My answer to that one is even worse than Pokemon Go. It's Candy Crush hundreds of millions of dollars a year at what I guess is 99.8% margins for what is essentially nonsense, right? 25 cents here, 75 cents here, hundreds of millions of dollars. Now imagine I can give you something tailored to you that's actually useful, right? Like a, an AR pop-up to assemble that thing you bought from uh, Ikea, right? So, or a peer connected thing. So you can, you can gamify your Ikea uh, experience with your, your friends that also shop there, right? All kinds of things you can do with that. But I think the biggest thing that, that changes for consumers on the back of all of this and what's going on socially uh, in the world is trust changes, right? Trust, if you go back to Joe Pine and the authentic economy thinking that, that he put out about 20 years ago, and how it was really important to be authentic, and that's what customers were gonna demand. Yeah, I get that, I, I think that's important. I think that's evolved to where trusting you to do what you say as a company is no longer enough. I have to trust you to do exactly what you say. I have to trust you to have my best interests at heart, right? It's no longer good enough for you to cross-sell, upsell me as my financial uh, services provider, I need you to give me things that help my commercial value, right? I trust you to have my best interests at heart. Then the third one is, I trust you to do the right things in my community, right? And I think companies that start to manage consumer engagement around being authentic, but being having your best interests at heart and the community's best interests at heart, I think those ones win. And you start to see brands get depreciated that don't do all three of those. And then the other big, the other big change is I think omni-channel gets reinvented, right? The idea that I need to harmonize all of my channels and make them look similar, I, I think that's old thinking. I think it's borderline nonsense. Um, I think what customers really want is give me an interface and an experience for where I am in my journey at the right time that's optimized for me, not optimized for a common experience that you think is good for me, right? I, I don't want the same experience in my car as I do here on my desktop, right? In fact, I want you to make some of the experiences go away and just handle it in the back background and give me time, uh, give me time back, right? Retail, uh, retail is like this. It's um, it's one of the, the the strange things on earth where if my shopping experience is shorter, I think it's better, right? There aren't many products where you say, give me less and I'll appreciate it more, right? I, I definitely don't think about cookies that way. 
Uh, but going to the grocery store, if you can get me out of there 15 minutes earlier or make it go away, which of course we're starting to see that a lot, way, way better. So I think um, consumer engagement changes in all of those ways. And again, I think you're going to see winners and losers, right? If you're the seven P's company that really does pattern match my journey with the interfaces that I want and save me time and make some of it go away, have my best interest at heart, and I see you doing things in my community that I appreciate, you're the winner. Yep. Which leads us to, uh, you know, a very down-to-earth topic, which is the COVID uh, pandemic that we are all going through. Do you see this as, as, as something that 5G will address as well or uh, completely irrelevant and we need to uh, face it, you know, uh, because it's now and here and now and nothing to do with technology? If I had talked about, you know, the possibility of a pandemic a year ago or green men landing from Mars, you would have said, oh, green men from Mars, for sure, that's coming, uh, that's coming sooner. So I think there's, there's a very simple rudimentary level. When you look at healthcare from a, a, a supply chain perspective, right? And, I, and I, I know a little bit about supply chain. I spent 17 years at, at FedEx. It's one of the top two or three broken supply chains on earth, right? How a person engages with the healthcare environment has way too much randomness in it, way too much fog, way too many service variations, not enough optimization. So from a supply chain, it's broken, right? Education's the same way, food supply chain, same way, three most broken supply chains on there. So the intelligence at the edge, adding in uh, um, you know, pervasive IoT, improving the asset management in healthcare, these are all big opportunities and profit pools. So this wave of technologies, right? 5G with AI, XR, IoT, Uh, next-gen cloud wrapped around, around it, there's a huge profit pool uh, with healthcare, including how you engage with the customers, right? How do you want your, uh, your healthcare experience to be? Do you want it to be proactive, predictive, peer-connected, precise, pattern-matched, or do you want it to be the old way, right? The other way of saying that is, do you want it to be better and more cost-effective? That is the journey. So, Uh, and I almost hate to say this, but one of the positive sides of COVID is during a crisis, people are okay. They're given permission to think differently, right? Um, there's a lot of medicine that you can handle remotely, that you can handle through telehealth, that you can handle digitally, and it's way more efficient, both for the patient and for the practitioner. Uh, than queuing people up in a waiting room, right? Which is a, a, a very dysfunctional, uh, very dysfunctional, wasteful uh, uh, process, right? Now, I'm not saying you can do all health through telehealth, but there's one example of how, uh, how it's improved. I do think, you know, if you polled 100 doctors a year ago and go, okay, telemedicine, 90 of them would have said, oh, no, you have to be in the room. I'm a, I'm a trained doctor. That's, that's nonsense. We're not doing that. And you can tell when you go to those organizations and find who is in charge of telehealth, they had some job in the basement, right, hidden in the corner. Now 90% of those doctors would go, you know what, that actually, that actually kind of works. So there's a positive, uh, a positive change cycle. And then, look, half of uh, fixing this thing is the medical sciences that 
you know, those are becoming much more compute intensive. They have done over the last 15, 20 years. So anytime technology leaps forward, there's definitely uh, benefits for science and medicine. So, so I am optimistic. I, I think we're going to have a very tough winter, but I'm very optimistic that as we move into spring, with the help from some clever technologies and the wonderful people in, in biotech, I think we start to emerge uh, and we look at things uh, differently. I, I do also think socially, this has shone a light on the disparities that we have by geography, right? If you were born in this geography, the healthcare you're gonna get not so good. Uh, in this geography, the healthcare is gonna be great. I think it's gonna help us uh, think of, through better models with that. And with a networked 5G technology, Maybe I can put that fantastic doctor or therapist who's in New York into rural Arkansas or Montana or East LA and change that, uh, uh, change that model. I, I also think over time, medical devices become much, much smarter. And the input layer, which is relatively cheap, goes out to the local clinic and the really expensive machine stays at headquarters so I have a much, much better cost structure for that. And then the other thing that's happening, the, you know, I, I, I ran a cancer charity for, for a couple of years, and there's a huge communications gap, uh, especially when somebody has some really bad news, healthcare-wise, of what they're told and what they hear. If I have digital engagements, I can do recaps and reinforcements and change that uh, I can put in layers of intelligence. Look, they, you were told this. This is what this really means. Here's some hit, some tips. And and healthcare is a networked thing, right? I, if I am a particular cancer sufferer, I have I have found a community horizontally of people who are going through the same thing. In a network world, I can connect that more intelligently. So, so I have a lot of optimism for improving medicine socially and functionally. Uh, through better connectivity. So it's one of the, I mean, the real reason I come to work is 5G and these technologies are gonna change healthcare and change education and blast through these stupid geographic socioeconomic barriers and help drive that. Now, it may take a decade, but that, that is a, a source of uh, optimism for me. Great, on this positive note, I want to thank you a lot. I feel that you, uh, the two of us could continue and speak for another hour or so, but probably we'll do it in the next time. I'll switch to decaf. <laughs> so thank you a lot, Toby, and uh, see you soon. Face to face, I hope. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Charlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.